Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, how's it going, everyone? This is Tyler Dunn here with Jim Monis for another episode of the Go Long Podcast. Super Bowl week, Jim. It's Super Bowl week, so we figure we'll uh, we'll ramp it up a notch. We're going to try to crank out some more episodes, and we're going to get it started right now with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers' own team reporter, Carmen Vitale. How's it going? What's happening? How's life in Tampa right now? Uh, yeah, like I told you earlier, I thought I knew chaos and then today hit. So I, (laughs) (laughs) we are in the throes of Super Bowl media availability. It was opening night, which happened during the day, which was all virtual. It was over Zoom. It's, it's been a very huge, it's been a huge adjustment and, uh, not really understanding which way is up right now, but we're here and I'm happy to be here. So thank you for having me. Armin, have you covered, have you covered Super Bowls before? Like with the madness, and now to see it virtually, I, I I can't imagine how different it is. Yeah, so not in this capacity. So I've worked as like a PR. I was in PR before this, and so I've worked as a PR volunteer before. And then last year, actually, Ty and I saw each other at Kansas yeah. City Media Availability because um, I was just down. It was in Miami, so I made the drive, and we had you know Mike Evans was doing some stuff, and there was some some of our other guys were doing stuff down there. So I just kind of popped in. But I didn't, like, go to opening night. I didn't, like, really have, you know, the full experience whatsoever. Um, so I was looking forward, you know, to being able to do that, especially as, like, a team reporter, as a staff writer. You're like, oh, that would be so cool to be able to cover a Super Bowl in that capacity. And then it gets here and COVID. <laughs> so we're in a pandemic. But they, the NFL has done a great job in trying to figure out 
you know, an alternative. And as chaotic as it was today, uh, we got a lot out of it. So, can you uh, bioblast us here, Carmen? We know Northwestern, and we know you've been with the Bucks for how many years? Have you been uh, about been, the team there for the this, site? This is my fifth fifth season, but I have I started as their copywriter actually. Okay. So I kind of made my way over to, I'd always wanted to be a sports writer. And so, yeah, I made that transition two years after. Uh, so this was my third season covering the team in this capacity, gotcha. sort of. The first season was like I was doing both jobs and that was, <laughs> talk about hectic. Um, yeah, that was fun. But yeah, so this is like, I feel like my second full-time season doing it. Uh, and it's been a wild, wild ride, let me tell you. <laughs> But yeah, before that, sorry, I wasn't, I did PR for a while. I was in baseball. Okay. I worked with the Dodgers, the White Sox, um, as an, as one of their, like, I was a sports info. I was a stat nerd. I was a sports info girl. So Arizona State was my undergrad degree. You know, Northwestern, that was my graduate degree. Undergrad was at Arizona State, and I worked in their sports information office the entire time I was there, focusing mo- mostly on football. So yeah, that was, that's a very brief synopsis, but just goes to show you, you really never know. <laughs> Where life is going to take you. Arizona State, Northwestern, Tampa. Yeah. Yeah. One of these things is not like the other, but <laughs> I feel like Arizona State and Tampa are like very much on the same plane. And then you're like, oh, but she actually does know some stuff because she went to Northwestern. Oh, <laughs> I validated myself. Hey, when I think of Arizona State, I mean, I don't think of anything, but the only thing you ever hear is party yeah. school. Party. Yeah. yeah. It was. It was. But you know, my friends, a lot of my friends that were from the Ivy League that I scouted with, like Mark Ross for NFL Network, Josh Lucas works for the Bears, went to Harvard. But they all tell me the same thing. Um, it's just like any other. You know, it's it's whatever you put into it. Right. You know, college is college. If you want to sink yourself into the books, you know, you, you have to at Ivy Leagues, obviously, anywhere. But it you can still party your ass off anywhere. Yeah. And I, to be fair, I probably have one of the more boring stories of being at ASU compared to my counterparts, at least, because I was I worked all the time. Um, I had that internship. I had multiple other internships throughout college. So I just had a very one track mind. I had my fun. Don't get me wrong. But I definitely had friends that had more fun. <laughs> <laughs> James Harden. Yeah. So we were there together. We were actually the same year in school. He's a little bit younger than me because he started school very early. Um, but yeah, we were the same year. And so he came in and, uh, I actually got to know him pretty well when we were younger in our younger days. Um, this was pre beard James Harden too, which is really funny to think about. And I'll never forget after he got drafted, he came back to the bars at Arizona state and there's like a strip of bars that, that lines campus and they're just, you know, they're seedy college bars and he roll, he rolls up in a Rolls Royce Phantom. And we all just look at him like, what? Who are you? And then he buys shots for everyone in the bar. And we're like, all right, this will we'll, play. You could <laughs> come in with your fan if you're going to buy us all shots. <laughs> so his his head high school basketball coach, his name was Scott Para, yes. who followed him to Arizona State. Yes. Which, however that works, it works. But Scott Para coached me in 10th grade uh, basketball in high school. Wow. Yeah, and I know I still talk to Scott. Like he's a head coach at Rice University right now. Yeah. yeah but anyway, he was Harden's high school. Co- it, it's that whole story was crazy. How I think that was a whole how they get to Arizona State is crazy. Yeah. But 
he, yeah, it's just insane. And Harden and, and Pear are still very tight. But it's, I, I, I like that about Harden, though, that he's still tight with his coach, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, that he, says a lot about somebody when you hear that anecdotally, doesn't it? Yeah. He honestly, like, even kept in touch with our um, media relations guy, Doug Tamro. And I think it's because, like, you know, you're so young in those situations that he left so early. Um, I mean, I think that it was one of those things where he just knew that he was going to have a higher draft stock if he went out then. But I don't think in any stretch of the imagination he really was ready to leave school from, like, a, you know, a mental standpoint. Like, you're a kid. Plus, he started, you know, his birthday, I think, is in the summer. So he was really young. Um, he was starting college. So I think he kind of gravitated towards a lot of people and a lot of people had a hand in making him comfortable at ASU, um, as, as comfortable as he was. So yeah, he keeps in touch with all those people, which is, yeah, you're right. It's really cool. Well, we are a, a very Patrick Mahomes friendly podcast. Oh boy. We've been blowing a lot of smoke up, up Mahomes for a while now, um, from episode one on really. So you have to convince us that the Super Bowl will be a game because, uh, no, I, I can't see a formula for Tampa Bay. I definitely can. They've got the pieces. I mean, you can definitely rationalize it. But, I mean, Mahomes has been unstoppable. But you're there day in, day out around these Buccaneers, Carmen. What do you see? What's the mood? What's the emotion? How do they somehow uh, slay Patrick Mahomes, who has been unstoppable? I mean, you're talking about Patrick Mahomes like he's the dragon, like he's not going up against Tom Brady, who's quite possibly the greatest quarterback <laughs> of all time and has been in this game more than anyone else. Uh, but clearly that's not a head-to-head matchup. You're talking about the Bucks' defense and how they can get to Mahomes if they can. This kid is, yeah, I'll give you, like, he's ridiculous. He's ridiculous against like the Blitz. Like, he's got a better passer rating when he's got guys coming at him in his face. Like, that's just insane. But what I thought was very interesting was he has a lower passer rating under pressure. So this is where you differentiate, you know, the whole pressure versus the Blitz. And if you get pressure on him, then you can disrupt him. And that comes from, I think, you're going to have to contain him. You cannot let him get out and run around and buy his receivers all sorts of time to make these ridiculous plays that you think, you know, the game plays over and it's not. Um, but if you keep him in the pocket and then you can collapse that pocket, you know, the interior pressure, I'm actually working on an article right now talking about how important that's going to be for our guys um, and how, how well I think that this, they match up because this year, I think especially the Bucks defense has taken such a huge step forward in that interior pressure, even despite losing Vita Vea, very early on, Vita's back, um, but Sue and guys like Steve McClendon, Will Golston, they have been able to generate pressure from the interior all season long. And if you can keep Mahomes in that little pocket and then collapse it, you might have a shot. Yeah. So that's what they're going to try to do. <laughs> no that one's really been able to contain him, though. So. I mean, that's the key, right, Jim? I mean, you've got to – he's got to stay in the pocket. I mean, I think all of his interceptions are in the pocket. So that's where you have to quarantine him. You can't let him get out, improvise, and doing all this crazy stuff. Um, what do you think, Jim? Did, did Carmen hit it on the head? No, I think that's – you know, I laugh sometimes. I, I feel like that's the recipe for any team that has a good quarterback is yeah. however you can pressure that quarterback, you're going to at least give yourself a chance. Watch that Saints-Chiefs game from this year. I don't think there's a team that could beat the hell out of a quarterback more than the Saints beat up. Mahomes in that game and I know the result of that game 
I'm done going against them. I'm done talking bad about them. I already passed on them in a draft. I say every day I'm sitting here on a podcast because I, I missed on Jordan, and I'm done. I don't no offense see, taken. No, and I, Tyler, this is great. I mean, you called me out. You, you've been saying it. You guys are you whiffed <laughs> on Jordan. But I'm telling you, I don't know even if that does it. You could put pressure on Mahomes. They have so many – you, you don't think Andy Reid and Mahomes, you don't think they've been through stuff before. Like, I just, I really think this. I don't want to take away from anything Tampa has done because it's remarkable that they got here. Nobody can just sign a quarterback and make the Super Bowl. That doesn't happen unless the Rams do it next year with Stafford. Hey, come on. <laughs> Golf friendly podcast. But I just don't see how, I just don't see how they slow Kansas City down. I really don't. And Brady's got to play better. And I, Tyler knows I've said this before, and you're going to think I'm crazy, but I thought he's the reason – I thought that was only a good game last week because Brady kept Green Bay in it. I mean, he was throwing jump balls in an NFC championship game, which I just have never seen. And if they make that pick before the half, before that disastrous play, they got pet and fired. I, I don't – I just don't know – I just think Brady has to play better. I think Brady, they're the ones that need to protect Brady more than the Chiefs have to protect him. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a completely valid because we haven't seen the best of Brady because he just the system is so different from what he's used to. And he talked actually about today how he's really bought into this no risk it, no biscuit Bruce Arians mentality. But that was so far from what he was used to in New England. And so – I'm honestly, like, as much confidence as I have in this team, I am just as shocked that we're in this situation just because of, you know, Brady having to get adjusted and the offense having to adjust with him and figure all of that out. And I think it's honestly a testament to the defense. And we saw that in a microcosm against the Packers because Brady throws those three picks. They end up with, what, six points off of those three picks because the defense goes three and out, forces two three and outs. You know, like – that was, to me, just like the microcosm of this entire season was like, okay, we're going to let the offense figure it out. Meanwhile, this defense is going to have to step up, and they're the ones, I feel like, that got us here. And now, in a game like this where you're not going to be able to stop Mahomes, I get it, but you're going to have to go toe-for-toe with him. Mm-hmm. That's the way you beat these guys. And I do think that there was so, there's something to be said about the second half of the Kansas City Chiefs game in Week 12 you don't get in that 17-0 hole, you only end up losing by three points. So, the, you know, the defense held Mahomes and the company to 10 points in the second half, and you kind of figured some things out there, but, I mean, I think it was just too far gone, and that whole Tyreek Hill with 269 yards and three touchdowns. Let's talk about that. I mean, uh... Do we have to? <laughs> Well, I had a nice chat with Carlton Davis last week, so it gives me a chance to plug that too. Okay, you know? plug it because I want to hear. Yeah, <laughs> I want to hear the behind the scenes of of the quotes. Um, I think he's. I think he's a good player, Tyler. Like I yeah. don't think you know. There's a lot of guys who get torched by Tyler. You know, I don't like to. You know, it's it's a tough matchup. Corners are those guys are incredibly mentally. They have to be so mentally tough because uh-huh. they're going against such special athletes, and the rules are stacked against them all the time. Like you shouldn't stop. Nobody can stop anybody one-on-one. No corner can stop a receiver. It's just a mismatch. But that guy makes a lot of really incredible plays this year. When I'm watching, I I watch all these quarterbacks, and I'm watching. I'm like, every time I see a pick, I'm like, man, who is that guy? Carlton Davis. They've done a nice job. He's done a really good job. 
but to ask to think he's going to just take Tyreek out, that's that's not right. I mean, he, I think he gives you the best chance against a guy like Tyreek Hill, though, because he will be violent and mean and nasty and be as physical as he possibly can. I mean, you even saw with everybody on that defense in the Green Bay game, the officials were letting them play, which definitely plays to Tampa's favor. So I'm sure they're hoping for a crew like that in the Super Bowl. Uh, but if, if he can play like that, right, but this time Todd Bowles gives him some help over the top so he can be aggressive and take some chances. I, I loved how Carlton Davis put it, like, he said it's like shooting a three-pointer in basketball. Like it's high risk, high reward, play to play. And against Mahomes, I feel like Mahomes and the Chiefs, they're going to kill you in zone. They're going to probably kill you in anything. So you might as well go down swinging, like you said, Jim. Like you might as well just go for it, be aggressive. And if you can steal a possession or two, if Carlton Davis can force a turnover some way, somehow, if he can get into Tyreek Hill's head. Now, Carlton Davis didn't tell me this. This was another – AFC cornerback who has faced Tyreek several times over said, look, if you hit him and hit him again and hit him again and hit him again, he'll tap out. Like he, like, like a lot of receivers, you don't want that. He's a little guy. Maybe there is a way to fluster the unflusterable. And I don't know. He, Carlton Davis kind of got me to believe in, in the sense that they, they don't, they just don't give a crap. Like they're going in there to fight. And the bills didn't go into that AFC championship game with that mindset. They went in there to keep it close. And they got their asses kicked. We've heard, I've heard Todd Bowles say this phrase now twice in two weeks that these guys are out for blood. And like Bowles is very even keel. Like he's not even keel with his players. Like he gets you know he gets them going and stuff like that. But to the media, to hear Todd Bowles say these guys are out for blood is gets me fired up because I just because I know that that means that these guys are in the right mindset and they have this chip on their shoulder. I don't know if you caught this um, with Carlton actually specifically. It was a mic'd up moment in Green Bay. I think that NFL Films put out and he gathered all of his DBs around. He was like, they had us as the last team in the league. And he like that, that 30 second ranking coming into the season for the secondary is what he's referring to. And he, they all took that so personally like I just think about the Jordan meme and it's all about that's exactly what the secondary did they're like and I took that personal (laughs) I was thinking of the crying Jordan for a second I forgot we went on to the next one yeah no no for the yes for for the last the the last dance um memes that came out of that but yeah it was like and I took that personal and they have and so they spent this entire year trying to prove those people wrong and they have in a lot of ways especially now in this postseason. And I think Carlton is really riding a high of you held Michael Thomas to no catches, you know, and then you rendered Devontae Adams pretty ineffective against the Packers. I think that he had, he had dropped. He, I, I don't know what the passer rating was between him and Rogers, but I mean, that was a near perfect connection for those two. And Devontae Adams struggled. Um, there, Aaron Rodgers struggled to get it to Devontae Adams this last game. And totally. It's not just Carlton, though. I mean, you've got Sean Murphy bunting at nickel that, you know, he's the, he's the opposite outside corner in base So from Carlton. And then they slide him inside and bring Jamel Dean out um, when they're in their nickel package. But you see Sean Murphy bunting getting a pick in each of these playoff games. And I think that their confidence is just going up and up and up. And you need that against these guys. And if you don't think that Carlton Davis is taking it personally, that ty- people are still talking about how much Tyreek Hill burned him, you don't know Carlton yeah. Davis. <laughs> I, what I loved about that, too, when I brought it up, I really thought he would, like, sigh or 
you know, I think he had just woken up when I talked to him. I, you know, he had every he has every reason to be pissed off when some stranger is bringing up like the worst moment <laughs> of his career, and it was just like. There's none of that. He was just like, no, this is the way I'm playing. I'm going to get up in you. Like, this is what I'm going to do. And sometimes it's going to work. Sometimes it's not going to work. So It's going to be interesting how aggressive that they end up being, um, especially when, again, it's not a head-to-head thing, but you look at how aggressive the Kansas City defense is and how aggressive Spags has been in his second year with this team. Um, But I'll be interested to see if you do see more of that press coverage at the line with Carlton where he's making contact with him within those five yards. And maybe that's where the opportunity he's taking to kind of rough this guy up a little bit. And then, yeah, like you guys were talking about, maybe have a little bit more help this time over the top in the form of safeties, although our safeties were, they were injured. We played most of the Green Bay, second half in Green Bay with backup safeties. So it's incredible. Right. Which, yeah, kind of adds a whole nother layer to how ridiculous this defense is. Love it. Could you imagine? So I was telling Tyler, Jason Light, um, I worked with him in Philadelphia, and then RGM in Philadelphia fired the whole staff. Jason was his right hand man. But anyway, Jason and I always remain close, close enough, whatever. I no hard feelings. It happens. And I like Jason. I'm really happy to see him having success. He's a good GM. You could see the draft picks are panning out. Yep. What I really respect about what Tampa did was. He whiffed, like, I don't want to say he whiffed on Jameis Winston, but I mean, a lot of GMs don't survive a miss like that. A franchise top pick doesn't work out. And I liked it for some reason they felt the need to keep him. And maybe Jason's ties to New England in his past, maybe that was the relationship with Brady that got him there. I don't know all those details, but I do like seeing that they stuck with the GM. And I know Jason knows Bruce Arians from Arizona, you know, from their time in Arizona. And then it, it just seems like Jason Light has done a really good job. Head coach, quarterback, he, this thing's working. Some great draft picks here this year, especially last two years, really. Um, I'm happy to see Jason get this opportunity. I really am. I don't think – I think Kansas City rolls in this game. I really do, which is crazy. I know. Not rolls, but I think they win. But – I think to I think you can't give enough credit. Come back on this podcast if and when we win and the Bucks win and just kill you for this. I'm Tampa, Tampa wins. If Tampa wins, I'm going to be broke. My kid will have no college fund because I am all in on Kansas City. I am going big. I put it in already at minus three because I don't want it to get to three and a half because that half point can always get you. But I'm just telling you, I'll be hitting Jason up. I, th- I think I've hit Jason Light up every year for a job, and it doesn't seem to work out, but that's okay. <laughs> um, but anyway, I really do – I admire what Tampa's done, but I don't know. I just don't see – and this team, this Kansas City team, I've been saying they're Alabama and Clemson in college football to me. I don't, I don't know how this train stops right now. Well, I think when you were talking about Jason, like – surviving all of that you do have to look at and this is granted this is a credit to the foresight of the of ownership of you know people around the organization that kind of knew what the his value was and you see Jason hit a lot in I feel like in the later rounds and 13 of our 22 starters were draft picks so they came from the draft which when you think about that I mean yes it's really hard to have taken a, first, a quarterback first overall that doesn't end up working out, but you've gotten a lot, you know, in return to the point where 
you were able to woo the biggest free agent in NFL history because of the roster you had built. So when people like kind of ask, you know, how does he survive that? And I totally get that sentiment, but I'm like, look at what he put together though. And then the result. And it's almost like a, well, it worked out. (laughs) I think it was clear to see that, Hey, yeah, I missed on, I missed on the quarterback. Like Jameis isn't the right guy but look at everything else is in place. Like we're hitting on every other pick, but you know, we missed on the quarterback. Fair enough. Everybody, people miss. And the fact that he hit on enough of those other picks, like you're pointing out, which is really impressive. Like that's a good stat about all their starters that are draft picks. I love that. Um, It is a credit to their scouting department and Jason. I know Jason puts a lot of time into hiring that scouting department too. And they've had some movement and it's, it's, I guess I'm talking about that because that's going on right now with every team and I'm seeing, you know, all the changes, but I really am happy to see Kansas city and, and Brett Veach for the, um, I mean, Tampa, but Brett Veach for Kansas city, same ground up, came in, worked his way up. He's from central Pennsylvania, played at Delaware, played with the head coach at uh, the bears, Matt Nagy in college. Um, but I remember Brett starting out as a scout and he used to annoy me. And, and, and like when we're on a school visit together, cause he would just ask question after question, like, Hey, so what, when you're looking at this or what do you think? But he just was trying to gain knowledge. And I always respected that about Brett. And, but Jason was the same way when I, when Jason was in Philly with me, I was always asking Jason questions and he would always answer. And I always liked that and respected that about Jason. It's just cool to see all these guys being in the Super Bowl. R- Real quick, Jim, before I forget, like with uh Veach, cause obviously you were, you guys were talking to the chiefs you know, about that trade that the Mahomes pick, like the, the legend has it that it was Veach, 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 and he was on the Mahomes. Is that true? Or how much Dorsey influence was there? Reed influenced from what you remember? We dealt with Dorsey the whole time on that trade because he was the GM. And I know Doug and Dorsey, they had that thing worked out weeks before. I mean, it was done. I mean, we knew, we knew the trade was done. We didn't, we just, I told you, we didn't know if it was, we didn't know if it was Watson or Mahomes. We just knew it was one of them that Kansas city was coming up for, but we didn't know until after the fact. And I guess it kind of speaks volumes that right after they draft Mahomes, they fired Dorsey right. and Brett Veach gets promoted. So I think we pretty much know who drove the Mahomes train on that one. I, know, Brett I just remember uh, Doug Whaley, when, he, when we were talking for that, like he said, you know, sometimes, like history gets rewritten a little bit, and he made it seem like Dorsey actually did have a lot of say in wanting Mahomes. So I, I don't he, know. I'm sure he did, but I guess there, there maybe there were other factors. But how do you draft? How do you make that trade? Get the guy you want, and then get fired, and then get fired. That's true. So I don't know. I don't know. We don't. We're not in the building, so we don't know the details. And I've heard other things about Dorsey being a little bit lack of lack of details and stuff like that that may have drove Andy Reid crazy. And Brett Beach came up under Andy. So I, I, you know, I could see where that made Andy may have just said, Hey, this is my guy. Gotcha. I pulled up the 2019 draft while you guys were talking and it is crazy to look at that draft. And I mean, like I felt like that Devin white pick when it happened, I know I didn't really think anything of it. I didn't really watch him a lot in college I'm like, oh, linebacker in the top five. I mean, yeah, that worked out great with Aaron Curry once upon a time. You know, you, you know, even A.J. Hawk, he was in Green Bay for a long time, but was never everything that the fans had hoped out there. It's tough to take a linebacker that high, but I'm looking at it. Kyler Murray, Nick Bosa, Quinnen Williams, uh, Cleveland Farrell, 
White, Daniel Jones, Josh Allen for the Jags, TJ Hawkinson, Ed Oliver, Devin Bush. That's your top ten. I, I, I mean, I like Kyler a lot, but you know, we'll see what happens there. Devin White might be the best player in that top ten. I got killed for because I stuck with Devin right out the jump, like out the gate. I was like, this is my dude. I had heard, you know, talked to a bunch of people, like, in the building, out of the building. Um, and I just loved him. I'm a super big, like, if I were to play football, I would have been a middle linebacker. So I'm, like, <laughs> all about linebackers. But I got killed for saying that they, the Bucks should take Devin over Josh Allen specifically um, and it, with the Jags. And I called it. We did, like, a mock draft special where uh, the other writer at and uh, and I went back and forth about our mock drafts, like, and I had Devin, and I when I tell you the comment section was not kind to me, it was so funny. But now I'm just like, sweet, sweet vengeance. Like now all of you guys are Devin's biggest fan, and guess who was riding with him from day one, riding with the cowboy because that was. <laughs> but I like, I mean, he's just been invaluable. And what's crazy to me, especially, is because you've got Levante David next to him, and. Levante is like way more chill. He's not super vocal. Like if if Levante is talking, like then something is almost wrong. It's like you know when whichever parent was more patient with you growing up, but you heard them yell and then you were like, oh, I'll send myself to my room. Like if Levante gets on you, like you send yourself to your room. (laughs) But then to see like Devin come in and be this vocal guy and just off the bat be this leader when you've got a guy that's been with this franchise, you know, for since 2012. Um, it's really interesting how they play off of each other and how I think that them together has made just like this defense. I, they bring this defense together just with their varying styles. But that's been, that was the crazy thing. Like the intangible thing about Devin was I, I just couldn't believe he came in and was like, yeah, follow me. I got this. That was I mean, it. What do you think, Jim? I know you've been high on Devin White for a while now. I mean, when, when I list those names off, is that your takeaway too? I mean, the, the way he impacts a game, it's, Every way. I always, I always want to give guys time before, I, you know, that might be the, the NFL scouting me, not the rush to judgment. Like I'm not big on the draft grades after the day of the draft. Like I never understood. Now, Jim, there's two years. We can. No, I'm saying he was, I'm saying it, it was like, wow. They, okay. They really took a linebacker that high. And yeah. He really is panning out. And the more you watch him, you're like, yes, he is everything you want at that position. It's a hit pick. You know, you still always want pass rushers and corners to me at those that that high of a pick. But hey, at the end of the day, when you draft that high, I'm done trying to analyze position. Is it worth it? Blah blah blah. If he is damn good and you're winning, it was a great pick. And I, I, and to your point, Carmen, like you had that you you know you at least saw that that energy he'll bring in the talent. And he did. And and that's a great pick. Like, regardless of does he affect the quarterback, how many sacks does he have? I mean, don't worry about that. It was a great pick. Like, yeah, exactly. How many busts? <laughs> he had nine this year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How many busts can we – that's what people really – like, you don't think about that with a middle linebacker. So, it's like, okay, this guy is a difference maker. He is making – he is affecting the other team's quarterback. And that's what – when you're scouting a player on defense, does he affect the other team's quarterback? White does. Mm-hmm. That was, I think, the biggest vindication, too, for me this year was last year it was the first year in Todd Bowles' defense for everybody. And I, people laugh when I say this, but it was, like, pretty vanilla for what Todd Bowles can do and what his schemes are. 
And because it was just so different from what Tampa had, had had before. And he, you know, inherited, I think, the 27th ranked defense um, when he came in. But then what you saw this year was the creativity level upped. And in that creativity came Dwight and Levante, both pass rushing. And it paid off tremendously for Levante. And I think because of that interior pressure, too, uh, getting, you know, kind of affecting the quarterback and then you got you're you're eating up blockers and then here comes Devin White downhill and boom he gets to the quarterback I mean that I think this is all just a result of how much more creative this defense has become and now you're really seeing Devin's potential because they knew that he could be a pass rushing linebacker I feel like when they drafted him and that he could be a factor in there but it was just it just took maybe a year or so for everyone to get comfortable to get to that point and now we're seeing it, which is cool. My favorite guy on that defense, other than Devin White, he just became my favorite guy a couple weeks ago. Um, JPP. Yes. I don't think people are talking about him enough, what he's been doing for that defense. And I said it a couple weeks ago. But I can. there's certain guys when you scout, you feel like, um, are we really talking about this guy? Like, just take him. Like, if you're, if you're lucky enough to get a guy like him, get him. And the fact that he played in South Florida and he's doing it there in Tampa, and I know how much that means to him because I just remember scouting him and and what he went through, obviously, with the fireworks. And it that guy is – I love the way he plays the game. And, and to be honest, Tampa's whole team plays that way. Like, Kansas City does too, though. And I said that last week on our podcast. I felt, I felt like Kansas City and Tampa, both teams, out-physicaled the other teams and just had that – that junkyard dog quality that Doug Willie and I always talk about. That's that. Like Levante David was looking over at, at, you know, he was looking over at the sideline during the Saints game, like, who's next? Like, I want more. And that's when you're looking around, like, these guys are on something different than I'm on because this is, they're on level right now. And I love that about both teams. I think it's a credit to coaches. Bowles has done a great job with all those guys. I still just don't know how they stopped Kansas. <laughs> it all comes back to that. They're I'm sitting there hyping. Fight, I'm hyping these guys up, and I just have no clue how you stop Kansas City. Well, we got we can't forget the Byron Leftwich situation, oh. Jim. So Let's hear it. This, yeah, your biggest thing. draft miss. Oh, so I'm a I'm a first or second year area Northeast area scout for the Philadelphia Eagles. You know, you're feeling yourself. You're. I just went from intern to area scout, so I'm feeling good. Got a car allowance. <laughs> so I'm at Marshall University. And I'm with another uh, good friend of mine, Rashawn Curry, who's a scout for um, the Eagles. We were both for the Eagles. We were both there at the same time. And it was pouring down rain, and they were practicing at, like, 630 in the morning, pouring down rain. So Rashawn and I, we, we didn't even want to go out and watch practice. We're like, it is gross out. West, You know, Huntington, West Virginia, it's freezing. Like, what is this? You you're, have an umbrella, and you're watching these guys practice. They can't – you can't even do anything. Leftwich was throwing missiles in the rain. And Tyler, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, you guys have all been around football. Like if you see some guy whipping the ball in rain, you're like, what? And then you're watching him through the year and nothing he did was wrong. I mean, every pass was just, he obviously he had that big wind up and, <laughs> but the throws are just like, it doesn't matter. Accurate, big arm, tough, broken. I mean, remember everybody knows, you know, him getting carried down the field. And yeah. How do you not love that? So, I go, we go into the draft, and I'm gung-ho as this young scout. I'm like, this is the guy, blah, 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 you know. 
and our director of college scouting works for NFL Network now, Mark Ross. You know, he was a little bit – he's like, well, you're not touching on some things. There's some slow delivery, horrible feet, bad athlete. You know, Mark Ross started pointing out these negatives. I'm like, I didn't see any of that that rain practice I was watching. And maybe <laughs> – but Byron Leftwich was – to me, it's so cool to see him doing what he's doing right now. I can't believe nobody's interviewed him because his leadership, and we talk about what makes a great head coach, shit. I don't know a player that wouldn't want to play for Byron Leftwich. Yeah. What I knew of him as, a, you know, scouting him as a player, I don't know what he is as a coach. I haven't been around him. But obviously, Bruce Arians and Carmen, I told Tyler this, we, we interviewed Harold Goodwin for the Bills for the head job. Awesome dude. Yeah. Awesome dude. Right. Qualified head coach. Byron Leftwich, qualified head coach. Todd Bowles, obviously, was a head coach. Yeah. Bruce Arians, love it. Yeah. He put together just like that was the biggest thing when we got him is I mean, I was already a fan of Bruce's. You know, I think I first became a fan of his with the whole Chuck Pagano, you know, takes over for Chuck Pagano and, you know, wins AP Coach of the Year and as an interim and just that whole, you know, the way that unfolded just made me a fan for life. So then when we got him, I was so excited, but then I also looked at who he was bringing with him. And I think that that was the biggest thing in getting to like this, this turnaround, which now was so quick, like in hindsight, in retrospect, it's like, this is the second year under Bruce Arians, but I think it's a credit and a testament to his coaching staff and all those qualified guys that are head coaches in their own right. And they're kind of head coaching their side, their respective areas of this team, you know, like Todd Bowles is the head coach of the defense. Byron is, you know, he's the play caller. Bruce is very much more hands-off than he ever was in Arizona because he trusts Byron. Um, and same with Harold Goodwin. Goody, he works with Byron, and you've seen just, like, the strides this run game has, take, has taken, the offensive line especially, um, and it's all, you know, because of Goody. And that's not getting talked about enough either, and he's been very vocal about, you know, the opportunities for minority head coaches and how he has, you know, these guys don't really get a fair shake and it sucks because they are so qualified. And to see all these guys on one staff is just, it's borderline. Like, like you, you have monopoly rules and like finance and stuff. Like this is kind of like that, you know what I mean? <laughs> like you have all these head coaching caliber guys that are, that are assistants, um, which is just crazy. And they're, they're great. I'm really glad you brought up Goody though, because he does not get the shine that he deserves by any stretch of the imagination. When we interviewed those guys, we just felt like he was, he just needed just a little, we just thought a little more time. Mm -hmm. Um, We we were in a position coming off Rex Ryan. It was like how young of a guy, how, you know, inexperienced, not, you know, McDermott was, kind of been in the game was coordinating so it was like we felt good about McDermott Anthony Lynn those were our top two choices and then Harold was right after those guys Mm -hmm. but he was his interview was awesome I mean he walked out of the room I wanted to play for him everybody (laughs) did I mean he he had that I mean he really was prepared and I hope teams give him some more interviews it's it's terrible he he and Byron didn't get interviews like and if I told you guys I'm not going to do it right now I found out some stuff on that Houston Texans um, hiring process. We are in what a what a fiasco. More of a fiasco than we already know that franchise to be. Pretty much what we know, but this this guy Esther B. Yikes! 
Yikes. You know, yeah, I mean, there was – I forget who brought it up. Somebody brought it up today, or I heard somebody talking about it today, where it was like, okay, these guys, are ha- they have these head coaching interviews, but just because they're interviewing for this job doesn't mean they want it or that it's a good fit for them. Like, we're kind of discounting that part of the process of – you know, just because it's a head coaching job doesn't mean it's the best fit, it's the best scenario, it's, you know, something that these guys want to take on. And Todd Bowles was asked a lot about the interviews that he did have this this coaching cycle or hiring cycle. And, I mean, you kind of got that sentiment from him too, whereas it was just like some of these situations just weren't what he was looking for and he's got a good setup in Tampa. <laughs> So, ride it, ride that out, ride right. it out. Right, and I think that you know you you want these coaches have to interview these teams as much as these teams are interviewing these coaches. Great, totally. so, great point. I don't understand the timing of this all. I mean, we've talked about it, Jim, but like, why can't everybody hit pause? Wait until after the Super Bowl. Like, this is when I mean. This is when legacies are made, right? Playoff games for players and for coaches. This is when you find out maybe how good a coach is anyways. So why not wait, like just chill, you know, go, go to freaking Key West for a week or two, drink some margaritas, everybody relax, come back and then have a hiring period after the Super Bowl. Why is that so hard to figure out? Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jim, but from my understanding of the workings of this, I mean, all of this stuff is done so far in advance anyway. And so I'm like, why can't you just, delay it another couple of weeks or a couple of months. Like there's so much back channeling happening as it is. Like why can't, like what, what it's already being done in advance before you can do anything. Just make some regulations. And I mean, nothing's going to actually change, but maybe you do, you, you see these performances in these playoff games and the way these coaches call these games. And you're like, Oh yeah, maybe we should give him a look after all. Yeah. It's, it's hard for me to, like sit here. I don't, there's some things I don't want to say, but you could interview Harold Goodwin and Byron Leftwich and Todd Bowles. I think all three of them are way more qualified. And I'm going to just going to say this is some of these clowns I see in these press conferences. And I'm going to say it because I don't, I mean, whatever these, this Dan Campbell crap and this Philadelphia Eagles guy crap like these prepared statements and the Houston Texans fiasco with a franchise quarterback like Watson, and you just disregard everything he cares about. It's, these are billion dollar, this is a billion dollar industry, like Coca-Cola and Google and these, they don't operate like this. Like you take your time, you hire the best leaders and you want to get better and more creative. And let's, let's get the guys, let's get the best doctors from the best med schools. Let's, Let's get these guys. Let's get Byron Leftwich and Harold Goodwin and Todd Bowles. And it's just I can't stand that those three, how one of them isn't a head coach is ridiculous. And one of those guys will be the next Tampa head coach, obviously. But, you know, whoever that is, great. And then the other guys should be head coaches too. But will they be eating kneecaps in Tampa if one of them is head coach? What I say on the podcast, Tyler? All Dan Campbell did was talk about how they're going to keep getting up. It's okay to knock people down too, Dan. Like your team can knock people down. You don't always have to be the one getting up by your kneecaps. I that press conference. I don't know. Whatever. I didn't watch it on that press conference, Jim. I kind of like it. It was. It it was so cringy though. I was like, oh gosh, man. And the thing is, 
I know they actually have a chance to like succeed. And I, I like Brad yeah. Holmes. Is like a friend. Brad Holmes was, I thought, one of the great. Like I like Brad. He's a great dude. And I'm hoping that Detroit makes it. But I, I don't know how. I, I can't get past that guy. I don't know. <laughs> That's maybe not my style. It's not maybe it'll work. Maybe you never. Yeah, know. I was gonna say it's not know. my style, and it might work. Right. Right. Because you're that's because you're a wuss. You're just not. Well, he got your guy though, Tyler. He got Jared Goff, so he should be good. He'll be good. They got the picks. They got Jared Goff. I loved that trade for Detroit. I don't know if we want to go there, but like, you know, <laughs> golf aside, which you know where I stand on Jared Goff, but Matthew Stafford, twelve seasons. We know what he is. No playoff wins, and I know it's not Twitter friendly. I believe wins are a quarterback stat. I believe you can oh. connect the two. We know what Stafford is. Maybe he's a little bit of an upgrade, but maybe maybe the Rams were really, really good because they had really, really good players, and then Gurley got those arthritic knees issues, whatever he had, and Brandon Cooks is out the door, Sammy Watkins is out the door, and Bill Belichick exposed Sean McVay. Like, it's not Sean McVay is the genius. Jared Goff is the idiot. Like, that's so lazy to me. Like, <laughs> come on. Like, we can do better than that, people. I, I love it. The, it. the Lions aren't going to win this year, so they get a first in 2022, a first in 2023. The, the contract, they can take that on with Goff. He's still 26 years old. Maybe he does, Maybe he's the guy. Maybe he's not. They can still look yeah. for a quarterback. Why did they had to move on from Stafford. He wasn't going to be Green. He couldn't beat Minnesota, let alone Green Bay. I legit thought that Goff was way older than that. 26. I know. I feel like he's been in the league for so long. Yeah. You know what? No, I no, I'm with you know as a gambler, <laughs> as a gambler, what Sean McVay did is what you're taught not to do as a gambler. Like, don't chase and don't go all in. It, it's it's usually a recipe for disaster. I respect it as a gambler because I get it, but McVay was like, screw it, I'm going for it. He didn't want golf. Okay, if I'm running the Rams, hell no. That goes against everything you do to build a franchise, like to give up every single thing for a guy who's really, I mean, yes, he's, he has some talent, but don't act like Matt Stafford hasn't had good players. Right. Um, I'm pretty sure he played with, and let me get this right, A.J. Green in college, because I scouted him, um, with about 10 out of the 11 starters on their defense were drafted on that Georgia team that didn't win. No Sean Moreno. Right. Yeah, no summer. That was the team that we played at Arizona State when I was there, and there that go. was yeah, no Moreno, AJ Green, Stafford was the quarterback. There was a couple other guys too that I was just like, and yeah, that defense. Right. Right. So he was, he was the number one recruit coming out and goes to Georgia with a loaded team. No, no team is loaded like that. No. Okay. No title. Now we go to Detroit. I think Calvin Johnson was pretty good. I think Nate Burleson was pretty good. I think they had good players. Like, I, everybody just says it's Detroit's fault all the time. That's lazy, you know, Tyler, to me, too. I Just saying Detroit didn't have good coaches. They did have good coaches. And they did have success. Like, they didn't win games. Like, we played them in the playoffs with the Saints. And, you know, he put up – he's that guy. Stafford can be that guy to me that averages 30 a game in the West Coast you know, that you didn't care about in the NBA back in the day for Golden State or something. Like Joe Smith from Maryland, yeah, who was my like my favorite player. Joe Smith, number one pick, was putting up stats in Golden State, gets traded to the Sixers and Minnesota and just falls off the earth because he was with real teams. Monte Ellis. Okay, great. 
that's what I'm saying. Like, is Matt Stafford a fake stat guy? You know, obviously the arm strength, everybody knows that. That's been there since he's been in high school. Where's the production? Where are the wins? Where's the playoffs? Great quarterbacks, to me, always find ways. I don't care who's around them. You think Drew Brees had great offensive linemen and receivers at Purdue when they were winning bowl games? Name our our great receivers for the New Orleans Saints. Didn't have them. We had good players. We had good players from the system. Well, we had Meacham as the deep threat. Devery Henderson, deep. Colston, good player. Lance Moore. We had had really good players, but that's my point. You don't need – like, can you imagine if Drew Brees had Calvin Johnson? Like – what are we talking about? Like, I don't understand how we're just skipping over this with Stafford and we just anointed him as this. I, I'm, I like what McVay did. I, I respect it as a gambler, not as a professional. I mean, I totally agree with everything you said, Jim. I mean, 12 seasons of that, like that's enough time to know what a player is or isn't. There's not a huge gap between those two. No. Golf and Stafford. There isn't. I really believe young that. and doesn't get it hurt as I, much. And I'm not a I'm not a golf fan. I'm not like, but at the same time, I'm, I don't think Stafford's just snap your fingers and we're Tampa. We're Brady. Like he's not Brady. Like that. This is insane. What Tampa's doing? Like it doesn't happen. Yeah, I was gonna say like that's the one comparison because I mean you can even look at Tom Brady's record back in New England. Like how many superstar players did he have around him, and he still managed the a lot of things. <laughs> Yeah. Like all of the things, in fact. So he, I mean, I don't, I don't I'm going to disagree and say I, I don't subscribe to the whole quarterback wins stat. Oh. But I do think that regardless if you include that in Brady's repertoire, at least, like he makes a case for being a, 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 the greatest quarterback of all time. And yeah, he was single-handedly able to will the Patriots in a lot of those seasons to success. And now you see it. With the Bucks, but I also want, you know, those first few years in, in New England, he had a really good defense. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's kind of the same situation that he's finding himself here in Tampa, is he has a really good defense to fall back on while he figures things out. Because we were talking about earlier how he's, you know. But, I always yeah. thought the Patriots were a little bit like when I was with the Saints, where you had a lot of probably high-end, high, real, very good players, maybe not superstar, number ones, whatever. But they fit every single part of their system where, come on, Hernandez and Gronk are studs. Edelman and these guys in the slot, studs. Randy Moss, when he went there, stud, obviously, Hall of Famer. But these, they found a way to put together at least the right pieces for their system. And I think Tampa has done that, to be honest. And I think that's probably why Tom – I'm, I'm sure that's why Brady was like, um, yeah, let me take a chance here. You guys have some players. Well, I think it's interesting because, like, you look at the setup in New England and, you know, Bill Belichick has basically absolute power. And But what that affords you, though, is then you're automatically on the same page in the personnel side and the coaching side. Oh, yeah. And what has also happened in Tampa, while those are two separate people, both Bruce and Jason are very much on the same page with each other. They believe in each other. I think Jason even said, like, they argue well. So, like, or they disagree well. So, like, you've got – I think that that's kind of the X factor in these teams where you need that those two parts to be just completely on the same page. And that doesn't happen as much as you would think, I feel like. And so I think that's why, yes, the, the Patriots were so successful because 
Belichick was just getting the guys he knew that he needed for his system and they were all system guys and the puzzle pieces fit together. And then here you see a very similar thing, but with two separate guys and Jason kind of subscribing to Bruce's philosophy and vice versa. Andy Reid was always tight end friendly in Philly when I was there. Like I'm going way back, but always tight end friendly. I won't bring up names like, cause it's too many people listening might not remember. LJ Smith. Well, that was one of my Northeast. That was one of my first. Yeah, no, that was one I'm proud of right there. Nice. But Chad Lewis from BYU, you know, just a guy. But but then LJ, and then he continues it to Kansas City. Sean Payton in New Orleans, tight end, heavy. Like, and I see it now with Andy and KC. I just love how these coaches know exactly these great coaches. Put them in anywhere, and they're going to get the exact right prototype guy. That's what separates them. It's not the X's and O's. It's the talent. They know what they want in every position. Andy Reid, you don't think he's played with injured offensive linemen before? I know the Chiefs has some tackles out. Yeah. You don't think he's been through this? Yeah. He's been through this a million times. Trust me. He knows he'll they'll be fine. They'll help out. They'll know how to get through this. Mahomes is aware. Everybody's aware. I just I don't think you can use that as a as a reason where Tampa's their front four is going to beat Casey's O line. They might, but trust me, Casey's be, they're going to be prepared for it. Jim, you mentioned that you uh, threw some money down on these Chiefs. We got to know how oh. much. How much money? Uh, I'm afraid. Say. No, I'm no afraid it's not that. like that. I don't have that kind of money. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. For me, for me, it, for me, it's a lot, and I just, I, I hope, I hope it works out for my son and my wife. <laughs> little Walter, think a little Walter with these. Oh. What's oh. an education? Well, I, that's why I drink Miller High Life. You know, I. I <laughs> I spend my money on big bets, and I, I, I try to back off on beer sometimes. I didn't even ask you what you guys are drinking tonight. I got my uh, Hamburg Louis IPA right here. What do you Ooh. Yeah, what I don't know. Got working? Carmen's working. She can't drink. She's got a LaCroix. LaCroix. Okay. LaCroix. It's not Spike, but. <laughs> I have a beer, Tyler, but I don't know if I can say where it's from. Okay. Fair enough. Fair. Well, that was awesome. Carmen, thanks so much for wait, popping Carmen, on. I, I think we told you a half hour. We talked an hour. What's Carmen's prediction? Oh, boy. I mean, obviously I'm biased, so I'm going to go against whatever both of you, apparently. You have no faith in my team. I can be persuaded. we got a week. Um, no, I. but it's going to be a close one, and I think it's going to be – so I'm looking at these offenses and how hot, potent they are and high power they are, and I'm like – so this game is going to come down to defense. Um, that's just what's going to happen because you're expecting this just clash. I don't know. But I go back and forth because I'm like, I really think you're just going to need to keep up with Mahomes. You're also going to have to keep him. I don't know. Score prediction, Bucks 34, Chiefs 31. Ooh. I like it. I like it. Carmen, where uh, can everybody find – your work, your account. I don't want to butcher your Twitter handle. Uh, uh, Twitter Sutteran. handle is V, and I know that it looks like some Russian name. Um, if you don't, like, look at the the way that the letters are capitalized. Like, <laughs> like, when it's all lowercase, it looks like Karmiev, and it looks like some sort of Russian name. But no. Awesome. V, C-A-R-M-I-E-V. Well, um, you're a fun follow. You do great work. Phenomenal work there with the Bucks, and uh, man, that was an awesome perspective. So, thanks so much for getting the Super Bowl week 
kicked off. Again. I appreciate you guys as always. That was great. Thank you so Cheers. much. Cheers. Go back. <laughs>